0: Welcome to the fourth season of Better News, a series of special podcasts It's All Journalism is producing in partnership with the American Press Institute. I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Better News offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. The effort is fueled by the American Press Institute and the Knight-Lenfest Local News Transformation Fund. The goal of this podcast series is to highlight some of the useful research the American Press Institute has published as part of its Better News initiative. While many newsrooms have already tackled the big transition from a print mentality to a digital-first culture, some are still working to make that change happen. But, day by day, as print revenue dries up, the necessity of migrating print subscribers to digital customers becomes more urgent. David Dishman is the business editor of The Oklahoman. He's here to tell us about a report he wrote about how the paper grew its online audience and pushed its staff to adapt a digital mindset. David, welcome to the Better News Podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: So first of all, tell me about uh, a little bit about yourself. How'd you get interested in news? How'd you end up at The Oklahoman?
1: Well, I got interested in news in high school when I decided I didn't want to study math or science in college. And so I started looking at some different course studies that might, you know, leave those subjects out largely and ended up in journalism, fell in love with it. Fast forward, you know, a little over a decade now and I'm here in Oklahoma City at the Oklahoman, worked for a number of years in Oklahoma as a reporter across the state and ended up as the business editor after uh, some additional schooling. I later realized I did like math and science, specifically math and numbers and stuff, and so kind of went back to grad school and ended up kind of in the the business world as a result.
0: Well, yeah, I was going to say that I've talked to many journalists who use data and science in everything they do, who would probably say, hey, you should stay in those class and take journalism, but something that you sort of discovered on your own. Uh, Tell me a little bit about the the Oklahoma and, you know, what kind of role does it have in the community?
1: I mean, it was a paper pre-statehood, and it's been in the community for, you know, the entire time that Oklahoma has been a state. It's based in Oklahoma City. For most of its history, it's covered the whole state. It's got a really rich tradition of, of doing some great journalism through some pretty incredible stuff. Uh, their work on the Oklahoma City bombing stands out as, you know, kind of a high water mark for some of the incredible work they've done. But like many, we've, you know, struggled to adapt and change to the newest business models and digital world. And what worked for, you know, 100 years is definitely not working now. So that's kind of where we, we were at. And the position we found ourselves in a few years ago.
0: And the position you're in was not something that I think is foreign to a lot of journalists who've been around for the last 10 or 15 years. This move from not just this idea of publishing content on the web, but also seeking out revenue that can help sustain these older papers, these older institutions that have been around. You kind of identified what was the problem? What was the the strategy that you sort of came up with to sort of tackle that?
1: Yeah, and when you ask what did I come up with, it's not individually me, but our team of leadership and, and some within Gannett, after we'd been purchased and acquired by Gannett, we, we looked at it, and I kind of helped lead some of the, these initiatives and looked at, okay, one, we need to be stark and transparent with our staff about the reality of where we're at. I'd been a reporter at the paper for, uh, I think, almost three years at the time, and had recently moved into the role as editor and then was being asked to help kind of lead this digital culture change. And my entire time as a reporter, I didn't have a firm grasp on the reality of how many print subscriptions we were losing, how quickly it was going, you know, that drop and change. So there was kind of this belief that we were still better off than we actually were. So one strategy was to be really transparent with our staff about that and where we were, you know. Hey, if you uh, are still clinging to this mentality that we have 200,000 print subscribers, you know, you need to to drop that cuz we had staff who had worked, you know, during those times when we did. But then the other hand was to paint that picture and image of the hopeful future and where these, you know, growth in digital subscriptions which Directly translates to digital revenues, which is revenues driven by the newsroom that can be attributed to the production of a news staff, could help, you know, propel a staff to say, hey, I can really kind of take ownership of my job security and my job future and the future of this newsroom going forward. If not for me, but for future journalists and the community as a whole in future years. I tried to kind of paint a picture of of both. Here's where we're hard, hard pressed, and here's the lifeboat out that we, we might be able to jump on. So, you
0: know, looking at your report, there were a couple of things that sort of stood out to me that were really familiar with other people I've, I've talked to who were sort of in the in the same boat. There were a couple of things that, that I found interesting that you were sort of addressing. One is the fact that something you don't necessarily think about when, you know, we've got to change people's attitudes. I mean, first, what you said about being transparent, and, you know, this is why we need to do that. You know, I thought that was important. But the other fact is recognizing that there are things that reporters, you know, they're intangibles, maybe, that motivate reporters beyond pay that you kind of have to address. You know, I'm on the front page of the Oklahoman. that means a big deal. Well, maybe there's not quite the same equivalent on the website. And so then it becomes a matter of changing perceptions of, you know, what values a you know what ways that people could find self esteem in this new model was that something that you were sort of conscious of
1: yeah that i always come back to the metaphor of the carrot versus the stick and i tried to lead much more carrot than stick and in doing so just like you're saying you we had staff and we still have staff who make a big deal of, you know, being on the front page or or giving each other a hard time when they haven't been on the front page in a while, that sort of thing. You know, so instead of communicating that from a leadership perspective and, and kind of buying into the, the good-natured fun of cheering each other on when that, that happened, the carrot became who had the a story with the highest traffic, who had the story with the most subscriptions generated, who had the story that got read the most, you know, that you could tangibly point to and say, yeah, your story was the top story of the month. Your story was the top story of the week, or your story was the top story of the day. And ignoring the praise for the front page and trying our best to, like I said, transform that carrot into a digital carrot instead of a print centric carrot. Of course, we're still putting out newspapers and we've worked to bolster that and continue to keep that as robust and strong as we can throughout this time. But you know, from a staff perspective, we felt the need to make sure that their worth was being driven by their digital performance. Was that something that took
0: a long time to accomplish? Or is that something that's still ongoing in many different ways? It's
1: very much still ongoing. I think that, you know, it would be easy to sit here and say, oh yeah, we did it. You know, that would be fun to say, but we're still A long ways from, you know, we still have, like everyone else, have work to do to become a fully digitally sustained product. And everyone, every staff member adjusts at a different pace and you need to kind of help. You know, we have staff members who are now sharpening, tweaking and sharpening their skills. They're fully leading the charge in many ways. They've fully adapted. They're at the forefront of many things. They're trying new stuff. And then we have others who are still trying to, you know, help change workflows, adjust deadline times, or even just change kind of the rhetoric of the way they talk about something. I have conversations still where with a staffer who might say, I've got a story that would be good for the main section tomorrow. And I try to ask when that happens, well, okay, but... What do we need to do to make sure that it performs optimally online? Like, tell me that first, and then we'll worry about uh, where it goes in the paper at a different time. And so we're still working.
0: Were you talking to you know reporters about you know doing different types of stories or writing differently? I know you said you, you talked about deadlines, but you know maybe filing a story that they would normally file at five o'clock, maybe they they file a version of it at like nine a.m. because it's breaking news. And something that's updated later, you know, are those like some of the strategies that you tried to implement?
1: Kind of a little background is our paper was sold. We were sold by our previous ownership to Gatehouse, and then the Gatehouse merger with Canet happened. So we had functionally three owners within like 18 months, which mm-hmm. is hard enough as it is, but the the hardest part came with systems and the changing of CMSs and things like that. So the first part was to make sure that everybody was competent in the tools and the process and the, okay, just like straight up, here's how we're going to get things online and published. So once that happened, then we were able to try to slowly work in those, what you just mentioned, the strategies of, okay, now let's take a look at published times? Should this go out breaking right away? Is this a type of story that we might be first on it here, or that might be our intuition to be first, but if you're publishing at 9pm at night, is anybody going to even see it? Is it better off to just hold for the morning? You know, taking a look at trends and things like that, that, you know, many properties have done that for years now. And it was just, we were in some ways behind the ball on that. I remember touring the Wall Street Journal with a friend of mine who worked there who kind of talked about yeah here's how we look at what time our readers are on and when they're reading stuff and and that was five or six years ago and you know that was the kind of thing that I was trying to help lead and push through the help of, of many others who were studying those and studying some of those trends on the back end that could then bring them to our editors and like myself and say okay here's where you know you on the business desk your stuff, like our stuff is much better performing in the morning, which makes sense. You know, business professionals are up reading their news when they get their coffee and stuff, as opposed to other things that might be better off in the afternoon or lunchtime hours.
0: Let's talk a little about the sort of drive to getting, getting new subscribers or converting print subscribers to digital subscribers. You know, what strategies did the Oklahoma put in place to sort of make that happen?
1: Yeah, we use a lot of the same tools and strategies that many properties within Gannett have kind of learned and and studied before us. Uh, We implemented a metered paywall system, and now we have a more hard paywall system. Some stories that we deem to be, we call them premium, you know, stories that are basically essential and stuff that exclusive to us. It might be the same subject that, you know, every other news outlet in the state's covering, but maybe we have a more in-depth or investigative scoop on that, that we we would say, hey, like, we put a lot of work into this. We feel that it's worth, you know, you paying, you an audience member paying a little bit to be a part of this. Others, if it's something, again, you know, you try to hit both sides of the spectrum. You want digital subscriptions, but also you want digital traffic and people who just come To your site, and you start to become an authority figure in our region on that. Uh, So, some of it we leave open. You know, throughout COVID, we left almost every single COVID story free, or at least metered, so that, you know, that was a public service to our state and our community. And we didn't want that to become an issue that only the more affluent community members had access to that. So we we take an approach with each story and kind of talk through that and uh, evaluate what we think it should be and and kind of go through how that process would be. So we approach each story individually.
0: So when you put your strategy together, did you have a particular type of audience that you were were targeting? Or, I mean, were there new types of readers that you wanted to... You know, engage, and then also hopefully be able to convert them into subscribers, or was it something else?
1: I would say yes. We think a lot about our audience. We have studied kind of who our audience is. We've had the help of others in our organization, some content strategists and and folks who you know are able to study that and look more closely at it. As we write, I often and like I said, some, with some of the more advanced reporters who have taken this and really run with it, I can ask them, okay, who's your audience going to be? Who are you trying to reach with this? They might say with my real estate reporter, who is one of the reporters who has really taken to this, this strategy and has seen great growth in his readership and subscriptions and stuff. You know, he might say this one is much more kind of narrowly tailored to the insiders in the real estate game. And he he's started a newsletter, a real estate newsletter. And so he that's something that he may just throw in his newsletter. Whoever's following that is already interested enough that they're going above and beyond. If it's something that he's, he tells me, he's like, yeah, this is kind of just a broad one that, you know, the general public might see, or it's, it's at a building that is recognizable to the community. And he goes, I think this is going to have a, a much broader audience. We, we talk about that and some of that now sometimes the audience can be any number of things, right? There can be a more tailored group specific to an individual beat. We have a religion writer. Maybe it's an audience of a specific denomination or, you know, an audience geographically speaking. We have an indigenous affairs reporter. So maybe it's the audience is, is more for our native readers, which Oklahoma has, you know, a lot. So, again, that's a good question and hard to answer because each story you try to talk about that individually because it can be any number of, of audiences.
0: What things have worked, what things have been successful, and what things haven't sort of panned
1: out the way you'd hoped? Some of the things that have really worked have been taking tools, implementing digital strategies that a lot of times are tried and true from other properties and suggestions and using analytics to a approach things and, and adjust and tailor your approach. If you have access to that sort of thing, absolutely pay attention and apply it to your your beat and your stories. And if you're a reporter, listen to what those analysts or your editors are are trying to help help you with. If you're an editor, trust the data, work to do that and try to break what we all learned in school or in our in the early years of our career of you know, journalism, so to speak, that really works. What has not worked, I think, honestly, I think the easiest way to answer that one would just be, that's almost the antithesis of that, those who know the playbook, and then just continue on and do their own thing anyway. And we've, we've had some of that too, that's been a, that's a constant struggle. We talk about that from time to time. And it's sometimes it's like, why are we not doing that? And it's, it's hard to say because you say well that person knows exactly what they're supposed to do but they just have chosen not to do it so it's a fine balance and it's a fine line of trying to you know again you sometimes you have to come back with the more of the stick and less the carrot if that doesn't work out so
0: yeah and we all sort of deal with have dealt with that in different ways I know that I've been in newsrooms where, where situations like that happen I mean you sort of refer back to the you know the way we been doing journalism for years I mean if you're taught a particular way and you have a sort of a print mentality of you know this is when I file this is these are the types of stories that I that I write because you know people care about them but maybe the numbers aren't aren't supported when you look at the analytics it's tough for people to make that change and some people are just scared to make that change or they see it maybe as a you're devaluing their experience one of the things that I, that I actually really kind of liked in the report that you did, that I don't always see in these reports that are in Better News is that you include some information about what you're doing outside of the newsroom to sort of promote camaraderie. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So I know what you're talking about is our office softball team and our office kickball team. And then other things too, We, we had a new executive editor come in and he, early on, one of the first things he did was call a gathering at a little local bar, a little soccer bar, which I think is probably, I don't know when this is going to air, but it's probably packed today for the U S world cup game. But we, you know, and he ordered a bunch of pizzas and we just gathered and had a good time out on a porch. It was, you know, still there were some COVID concerns at different times. And so, you know, outdoors summer, but just got together and tried to have a good time. I, in all of this, I've always loved sports. And so the past couple of years, and the, especially the first summer, Oklahoma City's Parks and Rec Department shut it down, like, I guess, one summer in the COVID stuff. So the first year that they were back open, I organized a softball team. And I said, hey, I you know, sent it out to the newsroom, the whole staff. And I said, if you're interested, let me know. We'll, we'll gather. And We had way too many people. And a lot of it was people who wanted to get out. You know, they'd been cooped up with COVID and stuff. And, but we turned it into a big, I mean, just a party. It was Friday nights and we, we gathered, we played a couple games each night. We got t-shirts. One of our artists, graphic designers designed us a t-shirt the first year and the deadline dingers were born. We would play and nobody was any, we weren't any good. I don't think we won a game that year. But we would gather and then in the parking lot after people hung around for hours and talked and drank beers out of the cooler and and that sort of thing. At the end of the season, we threw a big last game food party and our food writer cooked tacos and almost the whole office came out, even people who weren't on the team and had a blast. So much fun that the next year, you know, people were already asking about it. So we did it again. We split up a little bit that time. And we had the Deadline Dingers softball team. And then we had a leadoff, L-E-D-E, leadoff kickers kickball team in a little local kickball league. And same thing. We uh, had a lot of fun playing, but had a lot more fun hanging out and talking in the parking lot after. And I'm a very competitive person and we weren't very good in either, either league. And so it was a hard thing for me at times to show up knowing I was going to get my butt kicked, but I had to remind myself that there's a a much bigger and better purpose for that sort of thing. And that was to help build some rapport among staff because it's hard, you know, it's, it's hard. And a lot of times, even still we have our office open again now, but you don't see a lot of people in the office at times because people are out and about or Working from home is a much more prevalent thing. We've all been, and we continue to be in that era of cutbacks and layoffs and people leaving the industry and that sort of thing. So whatever you can do in your own newsroom to help promote that, it it can be simple. There's a lot of simple tools that can be done to help drive buy-in among staff.
0: One could say (laughs) that you took a stick, the softball bat, and you turned it into a carrot. Yeah, uh, as a way to develop uh, camaraderie. Again, it's the little things sometimes that don't seem upon reflection, you're not, you know, well, I can't be that big of an impact, but they do have a big impact in many different ways. I worked in a newsroom where they had worked at a ad deal with a local pizza parlor. And, you know, once a month they had pizzas for lunch and that was everybody's favorite day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so those times when you're, you're working late, you know, okay, well, I'll be in tomorrow because I know I'm going to have pizza. So journalists appreciate little things like that that can have a big impact. I know you mentioned, you know, recommended people look at the analytics and and what the numbers are telling you. And you also mentioned camaraderie to get people sort of on the same team. You know, is there anything else you'd recommend to a newsroom that was in the same place or that's in the same place that the Oklahoman was a couple of years ago?
1: Look at your staff and find out who could be your champions of your cause and how you can empower those who might not be as good at certain things, but could be good at others. So for instance, some of our staff and digital savviness, as we all know, and it's kind of plenty of jokes about it, but tends to skew toward younger staff members. So having champions in that camp who can take things and run with it and I'm not saying everyone is this way but you know an older staff member may not be as willing to embrace the digital side of things but can be an incredible resource and tool and teacher and mentor from the journalism side of things you can do everything you want digitally and still be a terrible journalist if you don't know how to report and treat things objectively and source and network You know, that's something that we've I've kind of worked through and tried to help coach among uh, some younger and more green journalists recently is, you know, just the simple art of sourcing and networking on a beat and making sure that you have uh, great contacts. And so that's something that I've tried to help coach and others in the newsroom have tried to help coach who are struggling on the other end of, you know, trying to adapt with the digital side or the computer tools and that sort of thing. So identify a person's strengths that helps show them, you know, their value and you can help. You're not attacking a person or, or making them feel like they only see flaws in their own work or that you only see flaws in their abilities. If you can help empower them to, to do what they're good at and grow together, you know, because, everybody's trying to improve in different areas. No one's a perfect journalist. Everyone can improve in different ways. So the more you can do with that, and again, kind of that relational thing, the softball, we'd hang out in the parking lot for hours after, and sometimes we'd be talking about, you know, the Thunder and their terrible draft picks. But sometimes it would be conversations would transition to struggles to get, you know, somebody to talk about something. Maybe the, you know, a politician was giving someone a hard time or something couldn't be uncovered or, you know, and then you have a built-in network where people are then saying, well, hey, have you tried this? Maybe you can do that. And so it, it led to a lot of great coaching moments and conversations that don't happen if you're not together.
0: Yeah, amen to that. I've been talking to uh, business editor David Dishman about how the Oklahoman grew its online audience and pushed its staff to adopt a digital mindset. David, thanks for coming on the Better News podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to Better News, a co-production of the American Press Institute and It's All Journalism. API's Better News initiative offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. You can find out more about the Better News Initiative and this podcast at betternews.org.